Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Get a quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Homes.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It is about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've been doing the show for a while now, and I've noticed a trend. Yeah, that's a great question. So, so that's a good question. That's a very good question. So, it's, good, it's a great question. Um, Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the questions we ask, they aren't really all that great. But it's like there's a verbal tick going around. Well, you know, that's another good question. That's a really good question. Good question. Great question. Great question. Good question. So those are good questions. Good way to sort it out. And you know who has this tick really bad? You know, that's a great question. Yeah, Steve Levitt. You know who Steve Levitt is, don't you? So that's a great question. Levitt's my Freakonomics friend and co-author. He's an economist at the University of Chicago. Levitt, you've been at Chicago for quite a while now, haven't you? Uh, that's a good question. And you seem to think that when it comes to what makes a good question, absolutely no topic is off-limits, wouldn't you say? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it is true that people like their cows to have gotten to walk around a lot and eat fresh grass. So, Levitt, do you have any recollection of saying that same phrase about 150 <laughs> times? Is this something you know you're doing? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> From WNYC... This is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. Hey, that's a great question. I've heard this over and over and over the last several years, not just on our show. You hear it in all kinds of media interviews, during the Q&A portion of tech conferences, academic conferences. But just because I've heard it a lot, that doesn't mean much. We needed professional help. My name is Erica Okrent. I'm a linguist, and I write for Mental Floss and The Week. Okrent knows several languages. I speak about six at a faking it level. 
so I can go for a while and have you have you convinced until you bring up something I've never talked about before, and then it all falls apart. <laughs> for the purpose of this discussion, we're sticking to English, and the phrase we're discussing today, that's a great question. I started looking into it. Has it really been on the rise? Okay, so how do you figure this out? It's kind of hard to measure that because it's hard to find a corpus of data that will show spoken language um, over time that way. You can't look for it in Google Books or something because people don't normally write this phrase. But Okrant was able to find a couple big collections of spoken language data. One of them is the British National Corpus. That's a 100 million word database, which includes transcripts of everyday conversation, as well as government meetings, media interviews, and so on. And I did a search on the phrase there, and it only showed up 35 times in you know, a corpus of like 100 million words. And a lot of those instances were fiction, so it, it wasn't too common over there. And then I took a look at the corpus of contemporary American English, and there it was over a thousand times. And most of the instances were interviews on CNN or NPR or, or different um, one-on-one interview situations where there was an expert being interviewed about something. So it definitely seems to be more of an American thing. We're hearing from leaders in the House and the Senate. They both say they want to pass a bill by next week. The big question, what happens if they don't? Well, that's a good question. Does this bump hold up, do you think? That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Well, you know, it's a good question. Why has that not been enough uh, to get him off death row in Texas? This is a really good question. Okay, and where does Erica Okren think this habit has come from? In looking around for it, I found that it's actually an explicit part of media and PR training. I think it's still on the rise. That's Bill McGowan. He does media and PR training for CEOs, athletes, artists, even the best men at weddings. His company is called Clarity Media Group, and he wrote a book called Pitch Perfect, How to Say It Right the First Time, Every Time. McGowan says that some people say, that's a great question, to serve as what's called a bridge. The bridge is what happens when the person interviewing you or asking you questions wants to go down one conversational road. You use it as a way to go from a potentially dangerous question back to your talking points, back to the point you want to make. You don't know anything about what lies in that road or you don't want to talk about that subject you have a different conversational road you want to go down so you need a bridge to get from one road to the other that's a good question is one of the phrases that allow you to do that you get the question you say that's a good question it buys you a little time and then you just jump right in with the point you wanted to make Um, and often people don't notice that you haven't dealt with the question or responded to the question Yeah, that's a really good question, is the most elementary bridge possible. Now, when Bill McGowan says it's elementary, he means really elementary. I did a training for a nonprofit organization, and I had to role play as the interviewer with five or six of them. And there was one gentleman who sat in the chair, and he started every single answer with, That's a really good question, even when I asked him, so how long have you been with this organization? You know, Bill, that's a really good question. And I had to stop him and say, no, that's actually not a good question. That's a really 
terrible question. It's just a conversation starter. And he saw the absurdity of starting his answer with that. It was absurd because it had become such a habit that it lost its meaning. Nearly all of us have some kind of linguistic tick, some go-to phrase we probably don't even know we use. I, for instance, begin way too many sentences with so, as in, so what have we learned so far? Or so what McGowan is really saying here? Or so even President Obama uses a verbal bridge. He has two words he uses that accomplish the same thing. One of them is look. Well, look, uh, you know, I think, Bill, that the, uh, uh, the nature of being president is the And the look means he's trying to convey it as, let me be frank with you. Or the other word he uses is... Listen, I, uh, as I think some of you saw when I was out listen. on the campaign trail, And whenever you hear look or listen come out of the president's mouth, that means he is no longer answering your question. He is answering his question. But look and listen are not the only bridges used by President Obama. Well, Catherine, th- this is a great question. And, you know, I was raised by... So what exactly is saying that's a great question meant to accomplish? I think people do it because they think it accomplishes two things simultaneously. It allows them to stall for time, and it flatters the interviewer. It's for keeping the good vibes going. We're friends here. We're, you're asking good questions. I'm giving good answers. You keep the good feeling going. And things like, that's a good question. Look, the point is, what I'm saying is, all of these phrases are, they're meta-discourse phrases. They don't have to do with the content of the discussion or the things that you're talking about. They're about the discussion itself. And what they do is lay out a map or a path for the people listening to the discussion or the people involved in the discussion. So you say, ah, yes, the argument is, the point is, and you can do that, lay out these little pebbles when the discussion actually isn't going that way, but you give the illusion that this is what's happening. And when you're actually in the discussion, you get the feeling that points are being made and important things are being brought up and good questions are being asked, even if they might not be. In other words, as Erica Okrent sees things, it's linguistic BS. Any phrase like that, they start somewhere and then people pick up on it. People start using it sincerely. And if it works well, it starts to become a crutch or a tick. And then people start to notice it and they start to hate it and complain about it. I believe that saying that's a really good question is about as outdated a tick or a strategy as telling people to envision the audience in their underwear. But not everyone has soured on the phrase. Coming up on Freakonomics Radio, Steve Levitt reveals another purpose it serves. I think that's one very strong piece of of saying it's a great question, is really just acknowledgement that someone who's sort of in the background is actually doing something that's cool or interesting or, or challenging. And we'll hear from someone who really does try to ask great questions. It would be clearly naive of me to say that I don't think about the craft of the question. I think about that a lot. And here's a question for you. If you do not subscribe to Freakonomics Radio, don't you think you should? It's free, it's easy, on iTunes or 
wherever else you download your podcasts. And four out of five economists surveyed recommend the Freakonomics podcast for their patients who listen to podcasts. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by True Green. True Green takes care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn so you can take care of everything else in your busy schedule. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more so you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you know you're in good hands because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. That's T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example, combining assertive on-road performance with signature Range Rover refinement and commanding all-terrain capability. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. Range Rover Sport redefines sporting luxury, an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Combining dynamic sporting personality with the peerless refinement you expect, Range Rover Sport communicates power, performance, and agility. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. The media coach Bill McGowan thinks that people should just stop saying that's a great question. He thinks it's nothing more than cheap flattery or a stall for time. But some people do use the phrase strategically. Andy Kessler is a former hedge fund manager. He now writes about entrepreneurship. In a recent Wall Street Journal column, Kessler wrote about a trick he admires used by Silicon Valley entrepreneurs at board meetings. When an investor or outside board member asks a stupid question, Kessler writes, the CEO says, that's a great question and then gives the questioner an action item, something like, okay, can you survey the competition and report back on their capital plans and hiring ratios? Great, let's keep going. Eventually, Kessler writes, the stupid questions dry up and people who ask them may stop coming to the meetings. Okay, so 
You can use the phrase as a form of retribution, but Steve Levitt sees another use. I like to try to, in everything in life, try to reward the people around me and acknowledge when they say funny things or smart things or they look good or, you know, act kind or things like that. So as a general rule, I've adopted, especially as I've gotten older, to try to do really nice things to people as much as I can, especially if they're very low cost to me. I like to do nice things that don't cost me anything but uh, are good to other people. And so I think that's one very strong piece of, of saying it's a great question is really just the acknowledgement that someone who's sort of in the background is actually doing something that's cool or interesting or, or challenging. Last May, when Levitt and I published Think Like a Freak, we went on a long book tour, first in the U.S. and the U.K. The whole time, it was back-to-back-to-back-to-back interviews and Q&A sessions. We get interviewed so much that when we hear something new, something we haven't thought about, it's just, um, it's fun. I, I mean, because it's, it's actually somewhat fun to be interviewed and to answer questions. Being interviewed can range from incredibly dull and boring to really, really fun. And I think of just our own experiences. So somehow... The times when we've gone on the Charlie Rowe show. Mm -hmm. Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner are here. Their 2005 book, Freakonomics, used economic theory to offer... I have been completely stunned because the way he asks questions and what he says end up being super interesting and fun and getting me to say things I never would have said to anyone else. People sitting at home saying, this is so basic. Right. fundamental common sense, you know? Totally. It's a, I think for us even, it was embarrassing as we sat down, because <laughs> we thought maybe there was some magic to what we did, because people tell us there's magic. <laughs> yeah, the no, more we thought right. about it, there's no magic at all. And then finally, <laughs> at, at the end, we said, wait, we better really make it clear to people right on page one, there's right. no magic here, because right. there really isn't. I mean, yeah. but And it's an incredible gift, and you have a little bit of that yourself. I've watched you do that to people, that you're, you're really good at getting people to say and answer questions they wouldn't. And if you think about when we did our book tour, um, you know, some of the people who interviewed us were amazingly clever and well-prepared. So I, I think that it's almost, for me, saying great question is just a way of saying to the interviewer, hey, this is actually fun. And uh, in, in a world in which this can be so little fun, you're making this fun. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. That, of course, is Charlie Rose. I'm curious, who have you interviewed so far today, Charlie? I interviewed John McCain and John Dickerson. And then last night, I interviewed Dan von Furstenberg, who's going to be on the show at 11 o'clock tonight. Charlie Rose is the dean of the television interview. In the AM, he can be found at CBS This Morning, along with Gail King and Nora O'Donnell. At night, the show is simply called Charlie Rose. He has interviewed more people, especially more smart people, than anyone I know of. How do you take it when someone says, let's say you're sitting down with, you know, maybe it was Steve Jobs, maybe it was uh, President Clinton, and you ask a question, and they look at you across the table. I say, Charlie, you know, that's a great question. Does it feel like they're trying to flatter you? How do you take that? I think they're trying to flatter me most of the time, not, or, or they believe it. I mean, whatever, whether it's egotistical, and I think it was a good question, and I agree with them, uh, because I... I thought about it and structured it and gave some consideration to it, or be it spontaneous and and flattering, and less so, it's simply buying time as they crystallize their thought. 
it strikes me that you're someone who works hard to ask the kind of questions that people think are really good questions, that are really good questions. I do. I mean, it would be clearly naive of me to say that I don't think about the craft of the question. I think about that a lot. How to ask the question, what I expect to get from the question. And so it, how the question is perceived makes a difference to me. I structure the question hoping to get the best possible response. I used to make longer questions with some assumption that I had to explain the question. I spend more time now simplifying the question. Take us a little further into that. When you say that you structure the question hoping to get the best possible response, I guess what I want to know from you is how do you know what the best possible response is? In other words, are you trying to, like a, a prosecutor, get the answer to a question that you sort of know already? Well, let me do something first. I would be tempted to say that's a very good question that you just asked me. <laughs> but because of this conversation, I'm not going to say that. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> but but it, I would say that because that is the right question. Um, it's not for me that I want them to say something that I think they've said before and I want them to repeat it. So I'm not asking questions to have someone tell me what I want them to say or to tell me uh, something that they've already said before. What I want them to do is surprise me with an answer, to go deeper, wider, more interesting than they have before. And, and there is a kind of moment in which you try to say something that is that just captures the moment and makes the person be caught up in the question rather than simply you know, repeating something that they've said a thousand times before. You know, it strikes me, hearing you talk, I care a lot because I do interviews. I'm, you know, right. I do sort of what you do. But for most people listening to this, you know, there are going to be a million people or so who hear you talking about this and, and they don't do interviews typically. But I wonder, Charlie, if you think what you're describing in, uh, in, in how you think about a question can be generalizable for any person in not doing an interview, per se, but just having a conversation yeah. with another person, whether it's a friend, family member, or stranger. Oh, oh I, I, I do think that, and I encourage that. I encourage it at a couple of levels. One, just in normal conversation. I mean, be genuinely curious. You don't have to, to make a conversation serious, but make it in the moment. But let your curiosity uh, inspire you, and that will, will help. The other thing that happens to me uh, is that, you know, it, there's an interesting thing people come to my table expecting to talk about themselves, their work, their relationships, their hopes for the future, their experience. They come expecting that. Most of the time, you know, in regular conversation, that's not what happens. So sometimes people will come to me and say, gee, you know, you ask my friend questions that I could never ask them, you know, because they expect you to ask them. That's who you are. And my point to them is, no, you should ask them. You should engage in conversations that have to do with something, not all the time. It should often be simply, you know, reacting to the moment of the moment that we all do, whether it's sports or entertainment or relationships. But, but there are those profound questions uh, that I think all of us would be better off if, if we occasionally dived into. All right, last question for you, Charlie, and I'll let you go. Um, 
if we had been in the opposite seats today, if this lame idea that I had was your lame idea and you were interviewing me about it, what would have been your first question to me about the topic of the rise of, hey, that's a great question? Why do you think people frequently say, that's a great question? I've been schooled by the master. That was the question. I never asked that one. But I learned, and now I will uh, do better. Charlie, thank you so much. My pleasure. Let me be clear on one thing. When it comes to saying that's a great question, perhaps saying it disingenuously, I myself am not innocent. When I'm on the other side of the microphone than I am now, I am a menace. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So, yeah, uh, that's a good question. So that's one of the... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, that's a really, really good and really hard question. I like it a lot. That's the kind of question that I would like to have thought to ask someone much smarter than me to see what they said. And I know where I caught it. I caught it from Steve Levitt. Maybe I invented it. Maybe I'm the inventor of that's a great question. I, I remember when I first heard you uh, say it, you were giving an academic talk, I think, at University of Chicago. You were discussing research of yours. And in an academic setting, especially when someone challenges either methodology or finding or data or whatever, I guess I expected that the first response would always be to just shout it down immediately and show why, no, I've already thought this through and here's why you're wrong and here's why I'm right. Because that's what you see so much in politics, right? Nobody ever acknowledges that the opponent has a valid point. But I remember you just saying, you know, that's a really good question and something to the effect of like, I wish I'd thought of that while doing my research, because, you know, it might be right, it might be wrong, but it certainly would have broadened my thinking on this. So that, I remember, is where I first heard it from you. I don't, I'm sure I stole it from somebody, but I, I can't, I can't pin my finger on who that particular genius would have been. Mm. All right. Well, Lev, I, I feel indebted to you because I feel it's, you know, if not valuable, then at least useful. And I use it now and again. And so I kind of would like to return the favor to give you something that you can use in certain circumstances. So here's the thing. Do you ever, um, you ever have a circumstance where you're interacting with someone, maybe kind of in passing, and they say something to you and you don't quite catch it, or they say something to you that you don't want to have heard, but you kind of need to say something? Do you ever have that at all? You're leaving yeah, all the time. All right. All the time. So here's what you say. You ready? You might want to write it down. Yep. You say rebus cassifram. Let me hear you say that. Say it one more time. Rebus cassifram. Rebus cassifram. Like more like one word. Rebus cassifram. Rebus cassifram. Good. Right. So that is a phrase that was invented by some genius. I don't know who. I do know where I learned to say this was from the former uh, dean of students at Dartmouth, and he was always getting in these conversations in passing where you had to have the response, but you had no idea what the person was talking about. They might have been talking about a relative of yours or a former encounter. Like, I can see you using this a lot, and you want to say something on your way out. You don't want to be rude, but you have no idea what the response is. If you say rebus the human 
human ear will interpret that in one of a hundred different ways. And they will almost certainly think that you actually said something real when you didn't. So <laughs> That's great. I love that. You're welcome. I love that. Rebus Acasifram. Hey, podcast listeners, on the next Freakonomics Radio, in the late 1970s, the state of California passed legislation that required new houses to be way more energy efficient. The California Energy Commission projected at the time that homes built after the standards were enacted would use 80% less energy. So did new homes in California really use 80% less energy? And do you think I'd be asking this question? the answer were yes, that's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes David Herman, Greg Rosalski, Caroline English, Susie Lechtenberg, and Chris Bannon, with help from Christopher Wirth. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Angela. You want to go on a journey to the pier by the sea Take a small vacation, dance under sun-soaked trees Transport your lives a day with the first sense of